listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Here are your hosts, Daniel and Golnaz. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 15 of ESL Talk. In today's episode, we are going to look at the use of language and dialect in the ESL classroom. This is something many teachers may overlook and maybe don't consider too much when planning lessons, but it is a really important aspect and something we should think about in the planning phase. Um, our words uh, can affect a huge part of our students in each lesson, so we're going to be discussing these concepts today. Um, many teachers come from many different countries, both native and non-native backgrounds, and as a result, the way teachers communicate with their students will differ a little. And today we will speak to Laura, an English teacher from the UK, who will share her experience and knowledge of this phenomenon and the importance of using the appropriate language and dialect in the classroom. So, Daniel, can you share your experiences of using the right language and dialect in the classroom? Yeah, of course. I've had a lot of different experiences and I've been really lucky to, to live and work in different countries and um, experience different languages and dialects, both in English and in other languages. Um, from a teaching perspective, I guess if I go right back to my first um, experiences uh, of teaching, um, as our listeners probably know, I, I spent quite a few years living in South Korea. And when I first moved there, I had to very quickly and very uh, rapidly change the language and dialect that I used because where I come from in the north of England, we have a very different uh, way of speaking than other places in the UK. Um, there's a lot of different accents and a lot of different dialect that we use in the UK. And the type of language and dialect that I used with my coworkers, with my colleagues who could speak English was very different to what they knew. So because of this, it was very difficult for my coworkers to understand me. It was very difficult for my students to understand me. And some words that I was you know, saying and using, they were being heard differently by the audience or they were being heard differently by my students. So very quickly, what I had to do is start to simplify what I said 
and to slow down what I said and to change and substitute words that I used to make them as clear and as easy as possible for students. Now, I had to do that for three or four years and as a result of that, I guess even without realizing, my way of speaking changed, my way of communicating changed because everyone that I spoke English with, whether they were a native speaker or a non-native speaker, they were a little bit unfamiliar with my accent. There were very few people I met from my part of the world when I lived in South Korea, so um, it was a little bit tricky to be understood. Um, so just subconsciously and a little bit, and a little bit consciously as well, um, the words that I used, the language I used started to change. And because of this, it meant that my way of communicating with most people became uh, very very much how I speak as an English teacher and how I speak with my students. It was, you know, basic language, simple language, clear language, and having a tone and a way of speaking that almost everybody could understand. Um, I still have difficulties today even speaking English, but there are still, you know, the majority of the time students can, can understand what I'm trying to say. They, they, they can understand my message and things are pretty clear for them. So um, when it comes to you know, yourself, Golnaz, and your experiences, how have your experiences as a student and a teacher helped to shape the dialect and language you use when teaching? Well, considering my background and the fact that I'm not a native uh, English speaker, um, I have not been in societies or countries or communities that English has been spoken as a first language. So, first of all, the way I was exposed to English was uh, as a second language in a language school, and I learned it there. The way that I learned it was mainly the standard English. We learned idioms, we learned expressions, we learned slangs, um, but uh, it, was, it, it could not compare to being in a country that English is spoken as a first language. So I could say that when I started teaching English, the most important lesson that I learned, one of the most important lessons that I learned was the fact that I have to be able to level my English and my uh, language use to my students' levels. And this was really hard for me at first, especially with like A1 or A2 students, because like um, the, the pace and the form and the tone that you speak needs to change like a lot mm -hmm. and uh, it needed a lot of practice but that practice helped me follow a solid structure as a teacher uh, with what I use and how I use English it was mostly and basically it has always been actually in my classrooms it has mainly been the standard English without any you know extra expressions or idioms or slangs or without any um, kind of um, you know um, that type of not 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 too informal but not too formal uh, at the same time like something in between that as you said could be understood by the majority and also could be a good exposure I, I could say a, a, a trustworthy exposure for my students because because I'm not a uh, not a native uh, English speaker I had to always be careful of what I am using and how I am using English so that I could I would be a right and correct exposure to my students not a you know not a wrong sample so um, as a student and as a uh, person who is right now living in Canada and studying in Canada well I have more freedom mm -hmm. of how I can use English and I am improving and I am working on, you know, uh, leveling up and advancing my English because I have the opportunity to speak with a wider 
uh, range of people f- uh, coming from different accents, different backgrounds, different nationalities. And uh, that is a great opportunity as well. But I, I'm sure that in my classroom, I am going to still follow that solid structure because it's, I can say, it is risk-free and um, it, it doesn't cause any misteaching. But another thing that it is interesting for me is that uh, when it comes to teaching expressions or, for example, some idioms or some uh, functional language, uh, what I have done so far is, um, you know, doing some research and going and finding the background and finding the context that those expressions or, um, I don't know, la- that language is used in and like m- making sure that it is the right thing to teach. Because um, when I was a student myself, when I was learning English, as I said, we were learning a lot of different idioms and slangs, but we were like, we didn't know, we had no idea uh, of how these are exactly used in English spoken communities. And are they right or not right? And it was never interesting for me to, you know, learn a huge list of idioms. I, I, I never liked it. I preferred to learn it uh, in the situation or in the context, which I never had, but I uh, try to personally. I try to uh, focus more on like movies where the context was a little bit more visible, more understandable, and I could like make a choice: is it right to use this or not? Wonderful. I think it's really important as well. You know, we can learn all the phrases and idioms and slang in the world, but if we don't know how to use it and when to use it correctly, it's kind of wasted in a lot of ways. So I think movies and, um, you know, TV shows, things like that can really help to give us that grounding and give us that, you know, really rich context that we need. So that's really important for sure. Definitely. And um, now I want to ask you, Daniel, what influences the language and dialect that you use when you are teaching? Um, Yeah, this is quite interesting because from a teaching perspective and when I'm thinking about my students, I need to kind of consider their level. I need to consider where they're coming from and where they're at. Um, And also it's a good idea to know the mix of students and what their backgrounds are linguistically. Um, If I have a lot of speakers, I don't know, let's just say, for example, I have a lot of um, Farsi speakers who are from Iran, or I have a lot of um, maybe Arabic speakers who are from Saudi Arabia or North Africa, then maybe the words and the way that I use English might be a little bit different to how I speak to learners from China or Korea or um, Japan. Why? Because, again, their exposure and their experience of English is going to be quite different in terms of um, how they learn. Um, You know, maybe some context, it's more relaxed, it's more casual, it's used more frequently and more freely, English. Um, Whereas in other countries, in school, you have to learn English and you have to sit and learn grammar rules and readings and you know you practice all the different types of of, um you know mechanics of english without really speaking it so knowing where students are coming in at is really useful so as a teacher if you know your students linguistic background you can spend a bit of time learning about their background that's going to really help you with the language and dialect you use now if students are very conversational a good example would be students from um latin or south american countries like mexico brazil um argentina peru Um, The majority of those learners that I've dealt with have been very conversational, really eager to speak and have a really good understanding of of the basics of of speaking. So I can use more informal language, more, um, you know, 
slang type language is a little bit more relaxed. Um, whereas if I'm teaching students maybe who are from China, they would prefer or their, their experience is more, you know, very uh, exact, precise language and very exact, precise dialect. So again, knowing your learners and knowing your students is crucial because again, I know I'm a broken record, I say this all the time, but if we know our learners, we know where they're coming from, that's gonna help us with how we teach and that ties into the language that we use. So um, I might use examples from TV shows and movies um, where most students from most countries will know about it, but in other countries they might not know about it. So I need to think about that because otherwise it's kind of a waste of time for, my, for me when I'm trying to give examples. Um, another really good piece of advice with language and dialect is use various examples from various contexts and relate it to the students. If you're teaching a business uh, type class, make the context about business, make the examples about business. Um, if you're teaching a conversational class, make it about what the student's interested in. If they have a background in media, make it about TV shows, movies, um, music. If they have a background in, let's say, um, I'm not sure, I'm trying to think of another example. If they have a background maybe in travel or they work in the travel industry or they work in a government job, make it about something more you know, closely tied to that. And then just things that are fun and interesting as well. Um, so those are a few pieces of advice, but generally with the language and dialect that I use, I get to know my learners, what they know and where they're starting from, and I use that to direct and inform um, the kind of language that I use in class. Um, so speaking about me as a teacher, Golnaz, have any teachers directly influenced you and how you speak English and the dialect that you use? Because in my experience, I've met students who have a unique or a very, you know, interesting way of speaking and I try to kind of understand why that is and a lot of the times they say oh my teacher was from Scotland for example or my teacher was from I don't know Australia or New Zealand so you hear those little tiny things in their speaking which you know those clues um, what's your experience been like with this well my English teachers were actually um, mainly most of them were from Iran but I also had British teachers native teachers who were from the UK I also had a couple of teachers who were um, Native American teachers as they said and they were like born in America and then mm. uh, they um, were living in Iran uh, I don't, I'm not sure if unconsciously this has influenced my dialect I mean I'm sure it has uh, influenced my whole dialect and language use but how and to what extent I, I don't know because it it, it kind of does not happen that consciously or while it was happening I was not really um, um, paying attention to it or I was right. not really conscious about it but I'm sure that it has had a great influence not only my teachers but also the other types of exposure that I had to English like I used to have some friends um, from other countries that we we never met but like some pen pals that we used to communicate the language that they used and also as I said watching movies different TV shows and programs this this whole collection uh, of course has made what I am today and um, in the future I'm sure this is all, all also going to change and hopefully improve mm -hmm. wonderful so um, as a teacher Daniel has your language and dialect uh, caused any issues for your students definitely most definitely um, I wasn't aware of this when I first started out you know 10 years ago that my pronunciation of certain words being from England and the stress of certain vowels and certain, um, you know, phonemes was strange or unusual. Um, 
I might say things like water instead of water, which <laughs> students might expect. I might say things like grass instead of grass, which people from the south of England might say.、Um, so most definitely, it's caused issues because students are like, "Hmm, what are you talking about?" The one, the strange one was、um, to say like, "I can't do something." I would say, "Can't, I can't do this. I can't do that." And students would be really confused by that.、Um, and I guess you know, living in in Canada and teaching、um, English as a second language for so long. All these kind of little things that used to be issues have softened, or I've, I've had some awareness of them, which has helped me、um, through feedback. But definitely, I've had issues with students, and、um, sometimes the way I've pronounced things, I hear students pronouncing them the same way, and that's fine. But it just also makes me realize that we have a lot of power, and we have a lot of influence on our students, and we might not be aware of it, but.、Um, You know, take care with important things you want to say because if you're not careful and if you just kind of you know relax too much and you get into that conversation you might have with a family member or a friend, not a student, then that could rub off on your students, which might be great in some ways、um, in terms of the language, but might not be so good in terms of dialect or in terms of、um, pronunciation and accent. So we need to be aware of these.、Um, of course, there's no such thing as a perfect English accent. There's Like we mentioned, world Englishes. There's lots of different kinds of accent,、um, so they can all cause problems. But how do we understand the message? We can ask good follow-up questions. We can teach our students how to be critical in their understanding. So if they don't understand something, instead of saying "what" or "sorry" or "I don't know" or "I don't get it," how can we better focus those questions? So,、um, what exactly do you mean by this word? Or could you repeat that last word that you just said? Or Um, could you spell that for me? And then that way we're building that clear picture, and we're kind of removing some of these difficulties that our own accents and language and dialect might cause. I know a lot of、um, you know non-native teachers are a little bit concerned and worried about this, and they feel like you know, oh, if I don't have a perfect British accent or a perfect American accent, then my students might criticize me, or they might complain, or they might use it against me. And again, there's there's no such thing. It's kind of a myth in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you if you have an image or a perception of a British English teacher, you can you know you can look at two different British English teachers and they both speak differently, use different language and dialect. In America, even more so. In Canada, even the same. So, this is something to be aware of, definitely, and and not to worry about. And again, you know, don't be shy to be who you are, but just make sure that when you're communicating and teaching. That you try to get your message across as clearly as possible, and you explain things, and you you take the learner on that journey with you, so that you know we do reduce any misunderstandings, and we do kind of address those misconceptions or those challenges that students might have with our language and dialect use. Thank you. That's really inspirational. I mean, for me, it is really inspirational. Thank you so much for sharing that, Daniel. So now we are going to get ready for the next portion of today's podcast. We are going to have Laura with us. Please stay tuned. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. All right, everyone, welcome to the next portion of today's podcast. Today we have Lara with us. Hello, Lara. Welcome. Hello. How's it going? It's going Thank good. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Yeah. So, Laura, as we usually start uh, each interview, we just want to ask you, first of all, um, what's your teaching journey been like so far? Can you share with us a little bit about your um, experience of teaching? Absolutely. So, it's been about oof, almost nine years now since I started teaching English as a second language. I started off my journey in the UK, which is where I'm from. I'm from North Wales, but I was studying at university in London and I did my teacher training in London. So my first job was in London. Um, I was there for a couple of years before I realized that I didn't become an ESL teacher to stay in the UK. So I took the leap and moved out to the south of Italy, where I lived in Sicily for a couple of years. And then kind of the same thing happened. I felt, okay, it's been a couple of years. I can't stay here for the rest of my life. I need to change. And went to the other side of the world, to Japan. I was in Japan for a couple of years. Uh, did a short stint in Korea before going back to the UK briefly and then I'm currently in Vancouver in Canada. So I've kind of been all around the place uh, teaching a variety of different ages, mainly adults at university or college, but also I did teach teenagers and um, younger children at uh, the language school in Italy. So yeah, it's been a big range, which is which has been the reason why I've stuck with it because it's such a variety 
um, it never gets boring, you know? Yeah, never a dull day in teaching for sure. No. Yeah, definitely. Quite a journey so far. Thanks for sharing. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, wearing so many hats as an ESL teacher, that's just awesome. So growing up in the UK, Laura, has your dialect and language use changed at all? Absolutely. It's, uh, I'm quite confused by my own accent these days. Uh, living in Vancouver, I constantly get asked where I'm from and people see my accent as English. Um, it does sound like I'm English. I, I won't be offended by someone saying that because I am Welsh. Um, but that's gone through a change from growing up in Wales, living very close to the English border and then studying and working in London. So when I go back to the UK, I don't even know where my accent comes from anymore. And then obviously I've gone to the other side of the world and I'm in Canada. And sometimes I think I have like a Canadian twang or something, but no Canadian seems to think I sound Canadian. So <laughs> I think it's definitely changed. And that also reflects the vocabulary, um, the slang and dialect that's used in Wales compared to England, compared to Canada is is completely different. It's a whole different category of language, um, and I feel like I've adapted to each of my environments accordingly. And now I, I'm probably just a big mess of all of it. So <laughs> I, I can relate know, to that. <laughs> I don't even know where I belong anymore. Yeah, I can relate to that. I get all sorts of things of German, Russian, South African, yeah. such a range. And I guess that's the that's what teaching does to you. It kind of you know you, you modify things subconsciously, and then before you know it, you're speaking something unique and uh, different yeah. to everyone else so yeah I was, I was speaking to a british guy the other day and i said he asked me the ingredients of something and i said basil and he was like are you canadian you already you mean basil <laughs> right and i was like oh no did i say that really I know. yeah i hear you it's a it's a struggle it really is sometimes so just to move this towards teaching then and being in the classroom um, do you use the same vocabulary and language inside the classroom compared to outside the classroom or are they two very distinctive things? Um, not entirely. I think it's changed over the last four years, uh, last four years, last few years. Um, I think these days, the era and society that we're, we're living in now, English and language is much more informal than it used to be. It's a lot less elegant um, and it's more important to for students to hear a very casual way of speaking because that's the the realistic language. Um, so I think I've become aware of that over the, the last eight or nine years and I definitely filter less than I used to. Um, I think there's a big stress in language teaching right now on um, a communicative classroom and an authentic classroom getting students to actually listen to the natural rhythm and pace of language. Otherwise, it's it's not useful for them to be listening to someone speaking, you know, at, at a snail's pace and separating all their words and overprint. Like, that's not realistic. It's not helpful at all. So although I definitely still filter some of my language and vocabulary, I do it a lot less than I used to. Um, and that's because language has changed. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's a good point. And we, we kind of sometimes fall into that trap of, I will speak very slowly and very mm. clearly and break everything down. But that's not real. That's not giving 
students that experience that they need. And a lot of the time, language and cues come from context and situations. And in a real life situation, that's not going to happen. So yeah, it's definitely, yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely something to consider uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to what the words we use. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Uh, and that ties in with our next question, actually. Uh, when it comes to teaching students, what considerations do you uh, think that you need to make specifically in terms of language and dialect? Um, so as we just said, being authentic, usefulness, reality. Um, we live in an age where there's there's world Englishes. There's not just British English, there's Canadian English, there's in Indian English. And using a variety of those, because the majority of people that anybody's going to speak to in Vancouver, at least, could be of any nationality. They're not going to always be speaking to natives. And I think it's important to really expose them to the world of accents, um, not only from natives. Um, Obviously, living in Canada, I do try and shy away from using too many British typically British uh, idioms or, or dialect, but I definitely make them aware of it. If I, if I use one or I find myself seeing some, some vocabulary that's very North American, I for sure tell them this is the British vers- version, this is what I would say, and make them aware. Um, you, you kind of have to remember as a teacher that you are the role model and it's your vernacular which the students are going to learn. And if they're learning British English and all the language that I use, that's not necessarily the best thing for them in Canada. Um, so it's making them aware of the differences, isn't it? It's This is useful dialect here, this is what I say in the UK. Um, they need to have a, a general awareness. But in terms of idiomatic expressions um i think there's definitely a huge category of idioms which are very kind of textbook and and formal i i remember when i lived in italy uh as soon as i brought up the the topic of idioms all my students would be like ah like it's raining cats and dogs And they'd all learn this idiom that was so textbook. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah. I've never said that in my entire life. Like, not useful at all. But they all all were aware of it. But um, making them or teaching them things which are useful. So not these kind of textbook standardised expressions. But again, authentic language with different accents and at different paces. Yeah. You sometimes got to catch yourself as well. I found myself falling into it. I was looking at some writing that some students did the other day and I said, yeah, it's not bad. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. And they just (laughs) obviously were lost because they're like, what do you mean? What does this mean? So I had to give context and explain. It means, you know, it's it's okay. It's not bad. And yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think it does have its value as well, like you said, Laura, but it's just thinking about the right time and the right place to to use it. Yeah, very level dependent as well. Like you're not going to get into that discussion with beginners, but any intermediates, I wouldn't avoid using that language. I do as you do use it and then break it down and explain it. Exactly. Yeah, perfect. So let's move on to look at the planning phase and planning lessons and kind of activities and things for students. Um, What? What should we be aware of when planning lessons for students when it comes to, you know, dialect and vocabulary and words that we use? 
I guess it's all about the context. Mm. Um, that's the easiest way to express the meaning of of any words and expressions. Um, the appropriacy of the expression, how old are the students, real life things that the situations that they're going to find themselves in and language which is appropriate for them. Um, I would say it depends on the level as well, obviously, and perhaps start off with the more logical phrasal verbs or idioms that can be made sense of in some ways. You know, we have a lot of nonsense expressions out there, which may have some history out there that makes sense of them, but it's it's so complicated and long-winded. Um, words that they can relate to and think, okay, this makes sense, I can use this, compared to ones like, the cat's got your tongue, where you might say that, but it's not that common, no. it's very random, it's not useful for them. So just starting off with everyday expressions or whatever context you're teaching in that point of time and little words and phrases and and, and obviously not not overwhelming them with a huge amount but slowly filtering them in step by step so they become aware of all these other phrases that can be used to talk about the same thing because I think it can be very overwhelming can't it thinking Absolutely. oh my goodness there's there's a whole world of other English out there that is 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 even harder to learn so and it's, it's about getting that natural use as well because again to go to an example I had a student whose level wasn't great and his writing was good but when he came to speaking it was very difficult to understand him and then he'd come out with all these little phrasal verbs and idioms like you know oh I, I went to play I went to play tennis the other day I only play once in a blue moon and I'm like okay never used that before <laughs> but you've used it correctly so it does yeah. have some value in some ways for sure yeah I think I really encourage my students as well um, to ask me and try things out. I was like, I am your your guinea pig, right? You hear an idiom, try it out on me, put it into a context, and I'm the person who's going to tell you if you sound like an idiot or not. <laughs> because that very easily happens, doesn't it? They use this idiom and it's just like, oh, oh, no, no, not then. <laughs> so just encouragement, encouragement to try and test. Exactly. So, um, uh, Laura, uh, the teachers who use a lot of dialects, how can they try to adapt this for their learners? Um, I think just kind of what we were talking about then, that just simplifying, filtering out the, the utterances that we may use as native speakers um, when you're dealing with low-level learners. You know, you can't be kind of talking to yourself and uttering things all the time it's going to cause more confusion for them and then with the higher levels just moderating it gradually introducing everyday expressions into a familiar context um, and as we said just just mentioning things as and when it's appropriate but not overwhelming students with you know classes upon classes of expressions I remember in one of my language schools actually there, there was a there was a whole um elective which was about everyday English but it was two hours every afternoon and it was every day and I just kind of like you were just constantly like feeding them 
more and more expressions and it just it, it became too much you know they weren't learning anything it was just like in one ear out the other and so I think as we said getting the students to think of a different situation try the idiom in in an authentic way and correcting that not necessarily just keep throwing language at them but getting them to use it in the correct way I think that's the difficulty as we said to actually use this phrase in the correct moment because it can be very sporadic sometimes can't it how we just throw things in there and when a second language learner does that sometimes and it's not quite the right context or the right timing it's it's wrong and you can't quite explain why that's wrong you're just like, oh, it just doesn't quite fit that conversation. So lots of, you could just do lots of different contexts where using the same language rather than bombarding them. Great. Yep. And um, I want to ask you, have you had any funny or unusual situations, uh, you know, as a result of your dialect and language use? Most definitely. I think on, on a daily basis. Um, too many rude ones to mention. Um I, I would deal with it by by being myself and probably bursting out laughing and then the students realize that they've said something inappropriate and depending on the level I might get into a, a, a vague outline of where it's gone wrong um, but it, it, was, it was funny actually because I had a, a class the other day where I started off the lesson asking them what did you get up to yesterday? You know, tell me what you did yesterday. What did you get up to? And I went around the class, 10 students. Everyone told me what they got up to on Wednesday afternoon. No questions asked. And then after that, I wrote the question on the board. What did you get up to? And I was like, okay, what what does this question actually mean? And they were like, oh, what question? Like they didn't realize that was the question I'd been asking them for the last 20 minutes they were like what does what did I get up to and they were like get up to because that's obviously a, a strange phrasal verb that doesn't necessarily make sense to them off the the literal meaning and they couldn't understand what it meant I was like I've just I've just asked you all this question <laughs> and it was that reality of the context of what you say is so much stronger than the language and how as a, as a language learner you're not always noticing the words which people are using but you're just getting the meaning of things from the context and I think that's that's amazing in some ways but also um, worrying in others that they're not actually paying attention to the words so it was just quite a funny little thing of like we've just been talking about this for 20 minutes you answered the question but you have no idea what I said okay well done <laughs> I've been there many times especially when it you know I try to use humor or jokes or sarcasm and some students will get it and some will just go over their head you know where students are like how many words should I write I'm like about 150 and they're like okay so how many words should I write I'm like about 150. And then a third student asked me, how many words should I write? I'm like, about 500. They're like, really? 500? Okay. I'm like, no, no. So <laughs> it's the subtleties as well, I think. That, that's the really difficult thing to master, um, mm. like learning a language and definitely comes into it. So Laura, tell us, um, what advice would you give to new or existing teachers regarding the importance of effective language and dialect use? Why shouldn't we underestimate this? Um, I think it's, 
it's it's all down to the power that you have as a teacher that you are the role model for some of these students it depends if you're in a if you're living in a in a country that speaks lang uh, speaks english as its first language or are you the only source of the language that this student has you know in when i lived in japan i was the only the person that they spoke english to and so all the power was in my hand i was the major influence that, that they had on their life the major um time that they were able to practice um and just using that very wisely um obviously being realistic with them but also making sure you are being appropriate and um teaching them the in the most useful way that you can also how how time has changed we were talking about before has language changed which of course it has language is always changing my accent has changed my dialect has changed and at this point in time we are full of technology social media abbreviations hashtags all these things that is that's the real english that they're going to encounter if they're 18 19 20 years old it's not useful for them to be learning how to write a letter so i think we get caught up in a lot of these older textbooks and course books which are teaching more traditional methods of english but um depending on the frequency and like i said the availability to the english language that the student has it's very important to adapt to your students needs when i when i think about kind of formal english and some of the things that i have taught in the past some grammar points I'm like how how often do i ever use this like this is this is not useful at all i probably have said this three times in my entire life and i definitely tell students that like if if i have to teach it for whatever reason it's on the curriculum i'll be like guys just to let you know this is not used learn it for the test then you can quite happily forget it for the rest of your life you know and it's it's that like authentic that um, advice that they really appreciate and um, because nobody likes learning something that's not useful so making sure that it's authentic and also communicative there's there's various theories and methodologies out there about the effectiveness of a communicative classroom um, and I'm a firm believer in those for sure as i said being in an era right now where everything is about communication not necessarily in a written form but just keeping in touch with people the other side of the world video calls phone calls and how often do people write these days so bearing in my biggest piece of advice would just be being in touch with your students and their needs if you're teaching a general english class you don't necessarily need to teach them how to write essays and learn about relative clauses and speaking to them asking them giving them a quiz and seeing what's useful for you what do you want to know but i think i think that's very easy to say because obviously it depends on the institution but if you have the opportunity to um create your own lessons and give them what they need or even if that's just a one hour of the week 
being honest with your students and and fitting their needs I think is really important because otherwise so much time and energy is wasted stressing about things that aren't important wonderful great thank you so much Laura Uh, really appreciate your ideas your perspectives and obviously all your wisdom you've imparted on us today so it was great uh, great to hear from you and thanks so much for joining us today thank you very much for having me take care lovely Thank you everyone for listening. ESL Talk continues to grow and we are grateful for all the support you've shown us. And I want to say a special thank you and a special goodbye to you all because, well, studying for the master's degree, working, doing research and working on a podcast all at the same time requires a lot of time allocation and concentration. And in order to be more effective and productive, I've decided to wear a bit fewer hats at this time and focus more on my studies. That's why this episode is my last episode of ESL Talk for now. I want to say a special thank you to Daniel for giving me this opportunity. I have learned and grown a lot from working on this podcast, editing, managing social media, and meeting great teachers, great inspirational teachers. I have learned a lot from all of you, and I thank you all. And... Goodbye to everyone. Stay safe. Yeah, a huge thank you, Golnas. Thank you, you know, so much for helping to get this project started. I know we've helped a lot of um, teachers, and I know a lot of people who listen, who are really, you know, appreciative and grateful for everything that you've done, um, especially on the social media side. Um, and again, we will be trying to continue these things just as effectively and successfully. It'll be very difficult, big shoes to fill, but we'll have some news hopefully soon. And we are going to continue, um, you know, bringing you episodes every week. So please do continue to support us and to help guide us um, with things that you'd like to hear and topics that you'd like us to cover in the future. Um, as always, don't forget to send us an email, esltalkpodcast.gmail.com. We're always um, looking forward to hearing from you and we're always happy to, you know, um, host teachers on here and have your input and have your discussions and learn about you as well. And then as always, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ESL Talk Podcast. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, Looking forward to the next chapter of the podcast coming up in the next week or so. So stay safe, guys, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes and to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for even more ESL teaching content. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.